I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Agent Carter and X-Men Origins Wolverine episodes. As you probably know by now, Seven James don't join me for these minisodes, but instead I give you my reactions to the comics that they recommended on last week's show. Those were The Marvel's Project and Velvet, recommendations inspired by Agent Carter. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Okay, first up let's address some Agent Carter news which follows straight on from our discussion about the show last week. Now, there's still no news on whether or not the show will come back for a second season, but executive producer Tara Butters revealed some new info about a potential second season last week at the Long Beach Comics Expo. Apparently a major constraint on the show is maintaining a pre-Shield time frame, or to quote Tara Butters, otherwise you have two agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. basically on the air, just in different decades. So to keep an MCU continuity, that would restrict the show to a very narrow time frame indeed. Instead, Butters suggests that there have been conversations about keeping the period the same but changing the location, potentially taking Peggy to Hollywood or to Europe. While we'd happily watch a second season of Agent Carter in those locations, not exploring exciting new areas of the MCU through Peggy for that reason alone sounds hugely disappointing to us. It seems like a silly and arbitrary reason to keep the show stuck in 1946, and if anything, surely audiences would respond well to a little bit more interconnectivity between S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. It's not like you would have two shows that were the same thing just because they were both around an organisation called S.H.I.E.L.D. But first of all, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether Agent Carter does return for a second season, fingers crossed. The third and likely final trailer for Age of Ultron dropped last week, and the big new reveal was our first look, our first proper look at least, at Paul Bettany's vision right at the end. While there has been some speculation about that sparkly gem in his forehead online, James tells me that in the comics that's a solar jewel, and though the MCU could potentially change it into an Infinity Stone, we'd be surprised if that was the case. So, looking back at where the Infinity Stones are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we know that the Collector is looking after the Reality Gem, 
Star-Lord has the power gem. Loki, who is now in control of Asgard, has the space gem by default. And that the Avengers are likely to be stealing the mind gem back from Baron Von Strucker in Age of Ultron. So that leaves the soul and time gems unaccounted for. And this is pure speculation based on the phase three schedule. But we're guessing we'll maybe see the soul gem in Doctor Strange. That would seem like a good fit. And then the time gem could show up in any of Guardians 2, Thor, Ragnarok. Or indeed just be saved for Infinity War Part 1 itself. Who knows? But you might want to start getting excited about Infinity Gems in the next few years. Sticking with the MCU, we also learned from the Hollywood Reporter that Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye will be showing up in Captain America Civil War. We wouldn't be surprised if that is the first of many announcements about various characters from the MCU joining that film in large roles or small roles as it gets closer to shooting. We were previously told that the CW's proposed spin-off from Flash and Arrow would include three new characters never before seen in a TV show, and now descriptions for those three characters have leaked via TVLine.com. They speculate that a character going under the pseudonym of The Traveller could be Rip Hunter or Booster Gold, a character described as Female Warrior could be Fury, and a character going by Mystery Hero could be Static. I asked Seb who the description sounded like to him, and he agrees about Static. He thinks the Traveller probably sounds more like Booster Gold than Rip Hunter, and that Female Warrior could also possibly be Fire. I've never heard of any of them, so the show continues to sound utterly bonkers to me. And finally, we got our first look at Melissa Benoist in the Supergirl costume, and we think she looks just super. That's it. Just super. And finally, I'm going to trial a new addition to the minisode format now, which brings us the not news segment. This is where I bring you a couple of pieces of superhero news, which I just don't think are news, guys. So what's not news this week? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Jared Leto's haircut is definitely not news. Let's wait until we see him as the Joker. Him having a haircut is not news. Also not news, Marvel's film division deciding not to attend Comic-Con is definitely not news for the 99.9% of fans who can't attend Comic-Con. All the rest of us will pay attention to Marvel announcements whenever and wherever they come from. I'm sure it's disappointing for the small number of people who are actually attending Comic-Con and the even smaller number of people who had planned to be inside Hall H, but for the rest of us, it's not news. So that was this week's Not News segment. Let's move on now to our discussion of the Agent Carter-inspired comic book recommendations. Okay, let's begin with James's recommendation, which was the Marvels Project from Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. In fact, both of them are from Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting, and neither of them feature Peggy Carter at all. So the Marvels Project has no Peggy, but we're going to be saying this every week. I, I see the reason that James recommended it to me. It it's a world, it's a 1940s Marvel universe that Peggy Carter absolutely could fit into. And so the Marvels Project, essentially this 1940s Marvel universe, were introduced to the origins of a number of heroes, including Prince Namor, the Human Torch... Captain America um, and a character called the Angel. There are there are various other heroes there as well. We get to meet Bucky and the Human Torch's sidekick called Toro, and there is an earlier version of uh, a super soldier from World War One. Uh, the Red Skull appears briefly. There's just there's absolutely loads going on, and uh, lots of street level costumed heroes show up as well. So it's very much guess what it is is unkindly I would say is an unfocused story. It is an overview. It's presented as like a case file 
wiles of 1940s Marvel looking back on what happened in this era within the Marvel Universe. And I kind of, I did really wish it had been a little bit more focused, or at least I would maybe like to follow up on this by reading some comics maybe that were specifically dedicated to some of the individual characters from the story. So for instance, the Human Torch was a character that I vaguely knew of because of him being teased in the first Avenger and reading about that Easter egg. And I, he was probably the character who I was most drawn to in this story. His origin seemed unique to me from the superheroes that I know. And I, I, I would have been totally on board with a comic that just followed that character. The problem that I had was, so the characters that I did know from the movies were Captain America and Bucky and the Red Skull and Nick Fury, although this is a different version of Nick Fury, not least because he's white and alive in the 1940s. But it didn't really feel like I, I didn't really feel like I got any added insight or depth to those characters that I already knew. It, it felt like it seemed very surface level. The characters, again, I said I was interested in the Human Torch, uh, the introduction to the Angel was very cool. Again, he seems like exactly the kind of costumed hero would fit into who would fit into the 1940s MCU. I think the Human Torch would work if you wanted to take it in a completely different direction. But I can certainly imagine that a 1940s Agent Carter. It doesn't really make sense that between Captain America and then Iron Man outing himself in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they were the only open costumed heroes in the world. You would, you would imagine in that 70 year period that people in a world where Captain America exists would have been inspired by him to put on costumes and go out and fight crime. So I really like that aspect of the story and I like the angel even though he seemed like our way into the story and then even though he was our narrator the story shot off in all these different different directions and he felt more on the periphery never really felt like a character that really got involved but again I like the idea of the street level costume heroes who maybe don't have any superpowers but are just inspired by the stuff that's going on around them and want to fight crime and the fact that they were fallible that we saw some of them die it reminded me ironically of Kick-Ass which I've only seen the film I haven't read the Mark Miller comic but the real world vulnerability of costumed heroes who don't have any superpowers that came across in the story Prince Namor I think it's pronounced Namor uh, because I watched a YouTube video of Stan Lee saying it. He was interesting. I've never seen anything of that character before. And it was strange knowing he is a hero, but having him introduced as a baddie. Because for most of the comic, I just flat out didn't like the character. And I understood his point of view, but I didn't like him. He seemed like a very angry man. And... Honestly, the thing that I was thinking about most when I was reading him on the page was, I wonder whether Marvel will ever be able to successfully launch that character on screen. Because they've, I, I understand that they have various legalities to get around with Universal about bringing that character to the screen. I mean, by which point we'll have seen DC's Aquaman, who comics fans will probably hate me for this, but from a completely outsider's perspective, seem like basically the same character. On a macro level, seem like the same character. I'm sure there are lots of differences. But I do wonder whether Marvel will have a hard sell in introducing that character after Aquaman is established. Going back to the, the actual story told in the Marvel's project, like I said, it, it read like case files, that everything seemed predetermined. And for that reason, the story lacked a little bit of drama. I enjoyed reading it. It was a pleasant read, but it wasn't a particularly pacey story. It felt like I was being told things that happened rather than being sucked into a story. I, I, I never felt engrossed. 
and and then there were there were dead ends like the the stuff with the Red Skull and the World War One Super Soldier. They might have meant something to dedicated Marvel's readers, but to someone like me who was just experiencing this one story on its own, this isolated story, it just felt like dead ends to me. It didn't it didn't make me think. Oh, and then that's when they go off and do that thing. I was just like, oh, so why why did we why did we spend time with that guy then? Have to say though, one of, one of the things that I really did enjoy about the story was Steve Epting's art. It seems very photorealistic to me, and I and I've sp- I spoke on the last episode about some of the Iron Man art from the uh, Extremis arc, seeming almost a little bit uncanny valley to me. And what I really like about Steve Epting's art is that it looks photorealistic, but it has. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Artistic flourishes. It has that photorealism, but it also very much feels like a, a drawing. Um, and that's something I appreciate it. And spoiler alert for something I'm going to discuss in about 10 seconds, but... I thought that his art was even better in the next comic. But just before I move on to that, I'm doing a little bit of reading around. It sounds like the 1994 comic Marvels would be a good place to go after having read this um, as a a similar story, or as maybe a story that this was paying homage to in a way. So I'll have to run that by Seven James and see what they think. But tweet at me, tell me whether I should be reading Marvels. Um, okay, let's move on to Velvet, which again is by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. Yeah, and like I say, oh, this looks incredible. This is the this was the first comic that I've actually gone out and bought a physical copy. I've been reading a lot of my stuff uh, from Comixology and I've got the Marvel Unlimited app. So this was the first comic that I actually I went onto Amazon and ordered it and it arrived and it's in my hand and it's just a beautiful thing. Everything I said about the art and the photorealism for the Marvel's project applies here, but more so. I think I'm going to have to buy more physical comics. But so Velvet, I really liked this. I read the first volume, which is five issues, and I'm already planning to pre-order the next volume when it comes out. So again, this has nothing to do with Peggy Carter. And actually, this is a different era. We're going from the 40s or Agent Carter to the 70s of Velvet. But again, the reason that Seb recommended this is clear. The parallels are so clearly there. You've got a hugely competent female character at the centre of a story who is being used to playing second fiddle to men despite having comparable skills 
and also ends up being suspected of foul play by her colleagues. And I enjoyed it in much the same way that I enjoyed Agent Carter. Maybe even more so, I have to say. And Seb was absolutely right. This is a comic that essentially reimagines the James Bond paradigm, but pitching what if Miss Moneypenny actually had a secret agent past. So we're going back to the 70s where, where Velvet takes place, following this character of Velvet Templeton, who was a secret agent back in the late 40s, early 50s. An incident occurred which had her re- retired from field duty. She then became a secretary for this British Allied Intelligence Agency. And then something else happens and she basically becomes a secret agent again when she's framed for a crime. I think what really won me over to this comic, aside from, I mean, I, I love James Bond. I love reimagining this universe. It felt like a comic that came from someone who had affection for Bond uh, and those kind of old school spy stories that, you know, the Avengers and M Appeal jumped to mind. But also someone that has recognised the problems inherent in that genre and is um, addressing them head on. So I love that Velvet was in her 40s. It, it felt perfect for the character. She's experienced, she has battle scars, and yet she's still sexy. She can do all the same things that essentially James Bond does in his 40s as a man. She kicks ass, she quips, she seduces people, she dresses stylishly, she's sexy, and that's not something that popular culture normally allows women of that age to do, and, and not for really any good reason. And she's also a character who has emotional vulnerability, which is something I really like, and that's not something that I think is uniquely female, because I think James Bond is at its best when we get glimmers of that in the Bond franchise. I'm thinking of when Tracy Bond is killed in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, or the way that Daniel Craig's Bond reacts at the end of Casino Royale. That's something I like in my Bond stories and Velvet immediately has all of the traits that I like in James Bond, but is also doing something completely different with it. I have to say, I assume she was British in the uh, first couple of issues, but then it, she she mentions growing up in New York and then actually flat out says that her, her dad was working for President Roosevelt back home, I think, in the fourth issue. So I kind of had to recalibrate in my mind how the character was interacting with everyone. Um, and now I'm assuming she's kind of like, she is American, but she's maybe a bit still maybe has a bit of a cut glass accent and is anglicised to uh, to an extent, having worked in Britain for so long. But that, I think that's testament to how well the character is realised. But while she is brilliantly realised, I, I sometimes felt the characters around her were a little bit less well realised. There are a lot of handsome middle-aged men with names like Kellerman and Roberts and uh, Lancaster, I think. You could be charitable and assume that is a choice, that, that Ed Brubaker is saying something very specific there look at all these forgettable men around her with their chiseled jaws and designer suits and this character who is so memorable in the middle of the story in comparison to them but it does mean as a reader you have to be very sharp there's lots of flicking back pages and remembering who that person is and is that someone who I've met before or is this a new character being reintroduced uh, Seb was right I think I think he mentioned this last week that reading it in one burst was beneficial. It was a little bit easier. I can imagine reading this a month apart and having to go back and read the previous issues completely again, which I have to say, (laughs) I am planning on going back and reading these five issues again and just maybe doing it a little bit more slowly and soaking up all the details. Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting's 
obviously on the basis of these two comics seem to work very well together but especially in Velvet Brubaker seems to be economical with the text at just the right moment and allows Etting's art to tell the story for quite long periods of time gives the art a real chance to breathe and you're able to soak up more of the details and a final point on Etting's art Simonson who is the guy that's running the agency this will make sense to anyone who has read the comic I felt he was in some panels very clearly supposed to look like an old gruff Sean Connery and I wondered whether that was a deliberate choice um it could just be me seeing that but I'd uh, I'd love to hear anyone else's thoughts on that in terms of the bondness of this story I actually thought that the world of the male agent seemed very bond like the first agent that we see murdered right at the start of the story that felt like could have been James Bond himself the world of these male agents seems like the stories we have seen unfold in Bond films and then while Velvet's world is part of that it's more exploring the fringes of that world it's it's the the explorations of maybe the stuff that we we don't normally get to see in a Bond film so from Velvet's point of view how does a woman get to this position in a secret organization where she's essentially seeing all of the information surely she's a really interesting character to explore but also I mean there's a there's a fantastic I think it's in the third issue the third or the fourth issue where the story looks at the kind of the cruel reality of what would happen to one of the beautiful women who sleeps with the secret agent in a spy movie when we see James Bond sleeping with the wife of a dictator and manages to get some extract some crucial information from them I mean what's going to happen to that woman after we see her on screen and sometimes we do get that on Bond but it's usually just a dead body whereas uh, this takes time to really look at the character herself and how that has affected her and just mentally what that would do to a person being used in that way I did a bit of reading around the comic before the show and I came across an article that featured an interview with Ed Brubaker about Velvet and something I found really interesting and really telling and almost you know it sums up why this comic needs to exist very succinctly he was speaking about pitching the idea as a tv pilot and getting notes back saying couldn't the main character be 25 instead of in her mid-40s and could she maybe be training under a more experienced male agent and it really does highlight doesn't it that we've got we've got characters like uh, james bond and jack bauer and jason bourne to an extent as that franchise goes on and certainly when jeremy renner took over why is it okay that all of those characters can be in their 40s but whenever we see female spies they're in shows like Nikita and Alias and even Agent Carter where we're seeing kind of women around the age of 30 and under you could say that applies to superhero movies as well we've got a man of Robert Downey Jr's age playing Iron Man and yet it seems like we're already seeing everywhere that Casey Sackoff would be perfect for Cops in Marvel but she's too old certainly a problem with the entertainment industry at large and that seems like the perfect way to kind of uh, bring this segment to a close because when you're reading this comic you can't help but dream cast the role of Velvet in your mind like oh if they made this into a movie or if they made this into a TV show who would work and I had lots of British actresses in mind until um, until I found out she was American so I was thinking like someone like Helen McCrory would be great but then you find out she's American and obviously from a meta point of view Jennifer Garner would be fantastic this someone who used to be a secret agent and and now is rediscovering that side of herself when she's in her 40s. That would be a, a really nice meta commentary on Alias. Or alternatively, you could do the same thing if you waited 15 years for Hayley Atwell. But she is British. Uh, <laughs> so I came to, I thought, the perfect kind of someone who is American but 
has British connections, um, has played British characters in the past. Jennifer Connolly. Wouldn't Jennifer Connolly be a great Velvet? And alternatively, if you're just going to go British, go for Rachel Weiss, who is a fantastic actress. Um, I could. She was the main person I was thinking when I was thinking British for this. And also, in real life, she's married to James Bond. She would know exactly what it takes to play this character. But yeah, it's fair to say that I am well and truly on board with Velvet and I will be, like I have been with Daredevil, continuing to read Velvet comics from here on in. But unfortunately, that's it for this week. Don't forget that next week's episode will be covering Gavin Hood's 2009 film, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And actually, if you are based in the UK, then we have good news. The film is actually going to be on Film 4 twice before the next episode drops. So you'll have a chance to actually watch it on TV. You don't even have to find it streaming or uh, buy it on DVD. Um, So you can watch it on at 9pm on Thursday, March the 12th, and at 9pm on Tuesday, March the 17th on Film 4, if you should so, please. If you are enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review. Thanks to everyone that has done that so far. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or you can send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.